my coach will always say that's a champagne moment. If a client's able to go through from like signing up to like, you know, completing a project and I had like literally like no involvement, like champagne moment, like that's what you want. Welcome to the podcast by Mikhail Alphon. Before we get started on today's episode, I just wanted to point out one of my sponsors, Mike Me Audio, who actually created that incredible intro that you just heard. Now, Mike Me is actually responsible for creating Gary Vaynerchuk's intro, as well as uh, Brittany Crystal's on her Beyond Influential podcast. And what I love about it is it simply gives your podcast that high-end, high-production feel that really grabs your listeners' attention. Now, the good news is if you want an intro for yourself, you can actually go to micme.com, that's M-I-C-M-E.com, and use the promo code MIC at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off your first intro. And they make the process really easy. All you got to do is set in your script, uh, choose your music, choose your uh, voiceover actor, and they'll create it for you within 72 hours. Again, check out micme.com and use promo code MICK, M-I-Q-K, and you know the Q comes before the K, and you'll get 10% off at checkout. But before I speak too much, let's get on to the show. What's up, socialites, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am super pumped on this episode, but this one in particular, because today we have the co-founder of Forge 54. He was also the founder of Devise Interactive. Eva Drop. Uh, he's a member of YEC, and now he's the head of business at Vincit. And what he probably won't mention, but I'll bring it out of bring it out of him, is he's also an aspiring saxophone player, which is amazing, and I believe a basketball player as well. Am I right in, in, in <laughs> I that? Suppose aspiring as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before I speak too much, Dalip, why don't you say what's up to the listener and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, uh, yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, excited to be here to talk a little bit about my story. I am a entrepreneur and a software developer. Um, and yeah, I mean, pretty much just try to enjoy things that I, you know, through business and through building new products. As we were talking about a little bit before we started this, the started recording, I don't know enough about coding or any sort of like software development to even start to have that conversation. Let's start teaching right now. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would like to know, because uh, I, I find you incredibly interesting and you've accomplished so much and in, in inspiration to me, really, um, I'd like to know what you were like growing up and, you know, where did, where did you come from? <laughs> sure. Um, so total introverted nerd, like in high school. So pretty much I got my first computer, you know, in eighth grade and then fell into like video games. And that like kind of became the vehicle for me to like learn coding. So like I almost kind of went pro, like Counter-Strike, like any other 16-year-old boy does. <laughs> and then uh, started building websites and started like teaching myself a little bit of coding. And eventually it turned into like someone saying, I need a website. Can you do this? If I didn't know how to do it. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And it'll pay me 50 bucks. It was extra beer money at that time. So that was like kind of like where I came from, you know. But sure. grew up like South County, Mission Viejo, you know. Um, definitely was all into video games, all into uh, coding and just building anything new. I was just trying to get my hands on. It, was, it wasn't like I was trying to build a business. It was just more like that's kind of like what I did to keep myself busy. You know what I mean? Um, but with totally the guy that like, you know, if you needed to like, get around the firewall at, like, you know, high school to, like, access your MySpace. Like, I built the proxies, like, for our whole school to do that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so that's, like, who I was, you know I mean? <laughs> So, yeah, like, that was kind of, like, a little bit about my upbringing, I suppose. But was the, what was the... What was the interest in coding and how did you even get there? Honestly, it was because of video games. So like I would be on this video game, I would be on a team, like a like so like a Counter-Strike team. And then they were like, yo, we need a website. And I was like, cool, like I could learn that. And then so I would just start building a website and other teams started asking me to build their websites. And then that kind of like compounded. And then like you fast forward a couple of years of just like being in that space and then people were like, I want to build this product, I want to sell it. Can you build me a website? And then they started hiring me outside of that. So it kind of went from like, only like video games sure. to like everything else, you know, later on, like through life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you started to, when you started building out the websites, where did you first learn like how to code it? When there was, so there was this, this software, like, you know, how we have WordPress today. Yeah. There was this software called WebSpell. If I remember this, it's called WebSpell or something like this. And it was like made for like 
gaming teams. And so I became like well versed in that. So people would like want to build it. I could understand like it gave me like a framework, but then that's how I got into like HTML, CSS, and then people wanted to do like fancy tricks with it. I was like, cool. I started learning like jQuery at the time. So then I just started like, you know, I was on Stack Overflow, just Googling and just trial and error, you know, and like kind of like iteration after iteration and eventually just became like an expert in that. So it wasn't like very, like there wasn't like a curriculum, like a school or anything that like I, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm just like, this is fun to solve. And then through that, there was so many learnings. And then like, I think of it like an onion. There's so many different layers. And then someone asked for something else and like 50% of the learnings on like that one project was applicable here and so forth. So then it just kept, like my skills just kept getting more well-rounded and well-rounded. That makes sense. So I have two really important questions for you. Why did a Counter-Strike team need a website? And number two, how boss was your MySpace knowing all of this stuff? <laughs> My MySpace, I guess, was decently boss. I know. <laughs> <laughs> was definitely like adding a couple things here and there because I knew the front-end coding. A Counter-Strike team, like, really, we were just like going into different leagues and we were playing different matches. And like, why do we need a website? We really didn't need a website. It was just more like, check us out online. You know what I mean? Like, our roster pictures, our schedule, our matches, our sponsors. Like we had sponsorships like from like Platronics and stuff. I kept getting all my friends like free headsets and stuff like that. So it was just more like you're in that space of like this was like your world. You're 15, 16 years old. Like you're just like, oh, it'd be cool to have that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever go to um, Howie's at the Kaleidoscope? Totally. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. He's actually one of our clients and like definitely like circle around like. What? Yeah. Like <laughs> Howie's, Howie, his name is Howie actually. And he's like a great guy and like one of my mentors, but like totally used to go there. And there's a couple other like low key, low radar spots I used to go to. But dude, that was fun. Like nothing beats going to a land center, drinking Red Bull till <laughs> three in the morning and just gaming out, man. Nothing beats that. <laughs> uh, dude. For the listener, first of all, Howie's was like the neighborhood like video game spot. Land Center is what you said, but it's like you'd go and play like Counter-Strike or Halo, I think was one that was over there too, right? Yeah, they have everything over there yeah. pretty much, but yeah. So when they closed it down, um, Carly, who you met, who works with us, um, she got one of the chairs from Howie's and got it for her boyfriend for his gaming room. Oh, for real? Yeah. Dude, they were selling it dirt cheap. Like yeah. 20 bucks here, 50 bucks here, something like that. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's such a rad gift, though. It's like nostalgia plus like what he's actually doing. Totally. I love it. So did you go to college for and like continue learning about, you know, software development and engineering? You know, you would think that I would have done that, but I was really into building businesses. And I've I've had like, gaming companies and I've had like hosting companies like I've had multiple types of companies throughout my career I suppose but I went for business administration like at Cal State Fulton because I'm like I don't know business and that would be the best to know so the the coding came like kinesthetically like through everything else sure you've uh, started multiple companies now you've sold off a couple of them and, and are selling off a couple of them it sounds like yeah did your degree in business administration help you do any of that Yes and no. I would say what you learn in school is definitely, you take it at like face value. So it's good to have like the foundation, right? Um, but then like the most I learned was like through like my failures and just through building businesses and just by talking to people. However, I does nothing more like I think uh, impressive than someone putting their head down and like, having the discipline to like go through it. Like even, you know, nobody wants to go through it. They're like this kind of sucks. I just kind of want to watch a movie tonight, like whatever it is. So I think there's a level of discipline that like, that you kind of get out of it that like you then maybe like transferred over to a business or to your job or something like that. So I think that lessons are kind of a um, important one. Gotcha. Which one of your businesses would you consider like your baby? Device. Device. That was my baby. <laughs> it was, you know, everything everything I've ever worked on just like came into Device. Yeah. yeah. That was my baby. Yeah. Can we talk about how you started it? Yeah. And through that adventure, like people started hiring me. Um, and then eventually the work, like from a freelancer perspective, grew more than my two hands. And so you can imagine like anyone that's like a good at their craft, they outgrow their own self and they're like, okay, what do I do now? I hire a part-timer. And so in college, I started hiring people and like had like a small little office. Um, in college? In college, yeah. Like I was a student that would like go in class and like leave 
like to go back to my office and then leave my employees to go back to school. Like, you know what I mean? So very in and out in terms of college experience. But yeah, like, so that's why growing it was under a different name called FX Online. And FX was my Counter-Strike name. And so <laughs> eventually I'm like, okay, like no one can pronounce it because it was spelled like E-P-H-E-X. So if I, was, if I was on the phone with you, you'd be like, oh, how do you spell that? Is it F? Is it S? Like you don't really understand like what I'm saying. Anyhow, it was like, okay, we need to like bring a bigger brand to this. And so Devise was kind of born. And that was like uh, five years ago. How did you come up with the name Devise? Searched like thesaurus.com and dictionary.com for probably what felt like a year. But it was probably closer to six months. It what took was forever. the source search? Like just searching like anything that was like invent, build, create. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. I really want to get, because the word FX was so hard to pronounce and spell. I was like, we want to own a word. Yeah. Like it can't... I. I you can't say the name and for someone to be confused on like what it is or how to spell it or something. So, and that was hard because you would find a cool word and then like, you're like, oh, 10 people own that already. And Devise was like this hidden like sort of. Devise Interactive is a pretty badass name. It, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. I love the name. The <laughs> yeah. name is so sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you were hiring your first, you know, your first person, mm-hmm. right? You were, you're back in college, which, right? Yeah. You're back in college, which is interesting. How did you? I know that you had too much work, but when did you know? Like, when did you take that gamble of like hiring somebody else? Because now you're like committed financially to this person; they're going to depend on you. What did you prepare to make that happen? Well, I think it was kind of a mindset thing. So let me like before I get into hiring the first employee, let me tell you about my mindset at the time. So like I was freelancing, like living at home, like with my parents, right? And like I could conduct business there. But I actually got an office that was 30 minutes away that I was like bartering like services, like trading services for. And I would drive 30 minutes away from my parents' house to sit in this office by myself and like go like, I'm going to build something here. So I had this like sort of like motivation, this determination to be like, I would literally just sit there by myself, work there. It was organized like it was like an office, but it was just me. And eventually, like as I was trying to find, like as like I had like work coming in, I would, it wasn't even about like, maintaining profitability for me it was just like let me bring someone so i can collaborate and work with them and eventually i was able to just bring someone part-time they were also a college student so like they weren't like depending on me but like you know i wasn't paying that much it was like 12 dollars an hour 15 dollars an hour but you know it was still like it was more like this like we're doing this all together you know what i mean and they wanted to like better their own skills and have a better portfolio so it really was like a two-way street in my opinion sure. but it was it was the motivation of like I, my, my dad thought I was crazy. He's like, why are you renting out this place? And like, why are you sitting in this office by yourself and you have zero employees? I'm like, no, trust me. I have the sandbox. Like, you know how when you have a sandbox, like you play in it? Yeah. If you have that, you can, the opportunities will open up and I knew that's where I wanted to go. What's interesting is I was playing in the sandbox and I feel like you were probably conducting some sort of business in the sandbox. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. You're just like, oh, you're enjoying life. It's okay, like, hey, it. let me build this sandcastle for you and I'll trade you for seven colored pencils, especially the lime green one. <laughs> like, that's probably what you did in the sandbox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so that's interesting that you mentioned that your dad said that. Was your dad an entrepreneur or anything? Was this in your family at all? No, not at all. Yeah. Like, Family, I mean, they, my, both my parents are biochemists, you know, they work hard, you know, I do admire them, but the, from an entrepreneur perspective, very conservative, I would say, you know, where did you get it from? I don't know. I think boredom, man. Yeah. I think like, I was just like, oh, this is what we were doing. I love, I love video games. It's great business out of that. I love this. It's great business out of that. So, so the, the business, um, if it was FX, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. See, exactly. FX, <laughs> but what was the second word? I forgot. Online. Okay. So yeah. FX E-P-H-E-X. online. Yeah. Um, that eventually grew into de- Devise. Is exactly. That correct? Okay. Yeah. So, how long would you say you were you were running FX before you turned it into Devise? Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, I suppose you just take it back to when I was 15 years old. I mean, because like I'll be like, people would hire FX. That's an interesting mindset. I like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a long time, I suppose. Because then Devise happened around when you were 24 or 25, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's when like I um, through those gaming days, I met my creative director, Randy. And that's when I relocated him from Seattle. And so that's when Devise was born. I'm like, okay, we have the best in creative, we have the best in development. That's what Devise was. Yeah. So when did you get your second hire? Mm, I mean, so through the college years, I probably had a few, like couple, and they were all part-time, never full-time. But officially when Randy came five years ago, I guess actually a little bit before that, uh, six years ago, I already had two full-time employees. 
And then when the name changed over, like I had like a staff of like three full-time employees with Randy. Um, but then it was just different, right? Like now, like I'm getting benefits, you know what I mean? So, Was it always websites? Pretty much, like really focus on websites and then a little bit of like application development. So whether that's like web systems or mobile systems. But yeah, pretty much like it was built off like websites. And you ended up building out Devise to like 11 people, right? Yeah, yeah. Hit 11 at, um, was like the, the peak of uh, the team. Mm-hmm. When did you feel like somebody else could kind of like manage the team if that ever happened? Um, like the whole team, like just from like an operations perspective. One thing that I would say that was done really well was build the team. Like the team that we had together, very committed. They were with me for years. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was really self-governed. Like I never had to worry if someone wasn't doing their job or not doing their job. But each department had like a team like leader, if you will. So I never really had to worry about like managing the team. Sure. You know, I was really just focused on like new business and new opportunities. And I often joke that... When I would go out like on like a business trip or go on like vacation, like the team was way more productive, like without me in the office. Dude, I honestly think that's probably the case <laughs> for for me as well, which is funny. So I, I mean, I think the culture was like super like, done really well to where like I didn't need to manage them. How did you do that? I think it was just finding the right people that were motivated, you know. And I think you just treat them well, and they want to put their best foot forward, you know. Did like, you did you have like a weird like? interviewing technique asking like strange <laughs> questions or like no I lucked out like I'm telling you it was like one guy I hired because he likes snowboarding like <laughs> and this guy was an amazing engineer he was awesome but we treated everyone well like you know like we gave raises twice a year you know what I mean like they had like all the benefits like before I could put money in my pocket like I was like let's put medical first like let's put like um retirement first like 401k like things like that so I feel like the team knew that like we were sitting on the same side of the table in terms you know what I mean? And I think because of that, like that's how the culture was sort of made. Have you heard of this book Leaders Eat Last? By, I, Simon, by Simon. Yeah. I haven't read it, but like it's definitely on like one of the to-dos. Yeah. It seems like you kind of embodied that naturally anyways. Oh really? Is it kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean it's it's very much about like, you know, that you got to take care of your team first and then you take care of yourself. Yeah. But do you find that to always be true? Hard to say. I mean, leaders still needs to like eat and still needs to, you know what I mean? Like needs to think about themselves first sometimes. But I found like, and it depends where you are in your 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 life and your career. Like for me, you now I'm like 22, 24. I'm like, I don't need money right now. Like this isn't important. I'm blessed. Like, you know, I have a great family. We live in a great area. And so like, I really just want to put the team first. So it's more important to have like this like culture that was just like, that we enjoyed being with each other and then everything else would come later on. So I, I think, I don't think it's, I, I think if you put yourself first, people might think you're selfish, but I don't think that's a wrong mindset too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A team of 11 people sounds as if, you know, and it sounds like you had a really cool team, but a team of 11 people, I feel as if like, you know, it's just big enough to where there might be a little bit of like, you know, um, clickiness, but Mm -hmm. small enough to where everybody knows about the gossip type of thing. (laughs) Did you ever run into anything like that Mm -hmm. at Devise? So when we got to 11, we went from 8. And 8 to 11 is a different, it feels different, you know what I mean? And there is a level of clickiness. And I would see that with the way people would hang out and stuff. I probably wouldn't get in with the gossip like too much, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, or they just wouldn't include me, I suppose. (laughs) It is a decent, like double, once you get to double digits, it's a different culture, it's a different beast to manage than it was like when there was five of us. Sure. When there was five of us, like we all like have stand-ups today, like every day and know, you know, what we're working on because even like the number of projects are less. Right. So when you have 11 people, you have more projects. So people like know where things are on a certain project and they don't versus five people. We knew every single thing mm-hmm. and we were on top of it. So At 11 people, you didn't always know where you were in a project type of thing, right? Mm. Did it ever get to a point where you were kind of disconnected with the client? A couple of them. And that was like a hard thing to let go, but it was like one thing that you have to do. So for us, like we're in a service-based business, you know, I can't be attached to every client. And so really giving the reins like to the team so they could run with it. And they come to me when they really need help or they need questions like navigating something. With that came like a couple crash and burns and came a couple positives, you know what I mean? So like my coach would always say that's a champagne moment. If a client's able to go through from like signing up to like, you know, completing a project and I had like literally like no involvement, 
like champagne moment. Like that's what you want. So I love that. A champagne moment. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have tequila moments or whiskey moments? Always had whiskey moments. <laughs> <laughs> that's <Definitely>. awesome. <laughs> Eventually you ended up selling the company to Vincent, right? Mm-hmm. How did that go about? Did you always have intentions of selling it off? No, like if someone would have asked me like a year ago, like what's your plan with Devise? Do you want to sell it? I'm like, no, it's kind of a vehicle for uh, like to sort of build a career off of. It was kind of like just like this like transparent like business. And I was like, we could do whatever we want with this. Like this is our home. Um, when Vincent came and approached me at first, I was like, heck no. But then I kind of started evaluating where I want to go with my career. And the agency world is is a lot of like human capital and like selling time. And so I kind of wanted, I've kind of felt like this desire like to like not want to do that anymore. So it kind of worked out really well, you know? And plus like we, I want to get into high tech and they had like all the engineers and like it was becoming hard to vet not only the right projects, but like the right talent, you know what I mean? So if we had like a high tech project, I mean, you only have a couple employees, the bandwidth could be really booked up like with just one or two projects into the mix. And so... I really just was like, oh, you know what? Like, it's getting harder to manage, you know, from all angles. And so I was like, you know what? This offer's on the table. Like, let's let's see, let's see what it is. Let's see what happens. So, do you know what attracted them to you and why they wanted to, uh, you know, partner up with Devise? They they just touched down. So just so everyone knows, like, Vincent is a public traded company in Finland with 450 employees, um, and they've been around for like 10 years or so. They touched down in California about two years ago. And so since the business model has worked so well over there, there's only like 5 million people in Finland and there's like 6 million in Orange County. So like... <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> exactly. So like, <laughs> I think the business model needs to be shown into like bigger markets. And that's why like the US market's exciting for them. So I think along their journey of like growth in California, so two years ago they came with two employees and now that office has 35. They looked at us as like, okay, like we love engineering and so do, so, so do they. And not a lot of companies here in Orange County have engineering here. Like to have like a team in India, to have a mm. team in Prague or whatever it is. So I think they looked at us like in terms of values we aligned up. I think they looked at the team and said, okay, good talent. I think they looked at me in terms of like, okay, like local involvement definitely can help in terms of pushing the business forward. I, I'm like young enough in my career where like I have enough ambition that they would, I think they can like latch onto that a little bit. And on the, on like the last nugget i would say it also shows activity right like look at like they're growing you know they've this is their second acquisition it won't be their last and maybe another one in a year or two so i think it's just part of their business model in order to like grow alongside devise in 2014 you started uh eva drop yeah which is a shower head company <laughs> well no it's a smart shower but not the shower head uh okay so explain the smart shower to me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So yeah, in 2014, my buddy Tori uh, and I invented a smart shower device that helps you save water when you shower. Um, so pretty much what it is, it's almost like an adapter between the shower head and the wall. And so on this adapter, we help you save water in three different ways. So for example, when you turn on the water and you wait for it to get warm, what do you do? I stick my toes in. <laughs> and wait for it to get and warm. Just wait and okay. then do that one of these things like the pat test. it. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people like go to the restroom, they go make a bagel, they go make coffee, you know, a bunch of stuff, you know, while they wait for it to get and that's like pure water getting wasted. So our whole thought process is like, okay, like if you like your water at like 95 degrees, once it hits that 95 degrees, the water will shut off. Mm. So you can go you can get your bagel, whatever, come back, and then you put your hand out. And it would resume at like that desired temperature that you wanted. So huge water savings like off the top. The other one is like on that adapter, we had a proximity sensor. So based how far you are from the shower head, it would decrease the water flow. What? Yeah. So like <laughs> picture this, like, you know, when you're in the shower and you take a step back. Yeah. And you, um, shampoo. and you shampoo up and lather up and stuff. And then usually when you want to like get the full flow, you take, take a step forward. Well, every time you take a step back, you really don't need all that water. Or um, even like girls, for example, they shave their legs at the end of the shower at the tub and they don't need the 100% water flow. So the whole thought process is like, okay, we do different things based off like where we are relative to the shower head. So if we can design this device, you can decrease your water flow. So maybe when you're lathering up, you want to be warm, but you want 65% of the water. But now you're saving like 35% of the water off the top. So that was the second way we help you save water. And the last one is just because every device needs a smart, a mobile app and needs to be smart. We had ways that you can like set reminders. And so the 
Eva had like Does it bunch- remind you to take a shower? <laughs> <laughs> it's about that time. <laughs> but like it would basically say, I want to get out of the shower in like five minutes and like the lights will kind of remind you. So you kind of like have a benchmark of like a reference of time to say, hey, like it's time for you to get out of here. That's so, kind of cool. Yeah. So we had like that. It was all customizable with the mobile app. So you can be like where your zones and how much you want to decrease. But yeah, totally have that product. And what got you go. to start thinking about that? My partner was like, um, like the same way, like, you know, when you go in the like the public bathrooms and they have like the sensor and it's yeah. on or off. Mm-hmm. It's like the same concept, but like if you look at like a shower, it's really old technology. Like that hasn't been updated in a long time, and the plumbing is very old. And like it's kind of hard to update because everything is behind the wall where the plumbing is. There's no in front of the wall sort of solution, yeah. and people like want to save water with like low shower heads, but it's very binary. It's like low it's like it doesn't feel as good and it ruins that experience so he started taking that whole like idea of the faucet and like trying to apply that to the shower and then it just snowballed into like a bunch of different things and next thing you know we we invented a product (laughs) (laughs) i love that this whole time i literally thought it was a shower head i'm like this guy just like started a shower head company (laughs) what the hell all right yeah so So, but with that to the shower head point we know that a lot of people like different shower heads, so you can install any shower head that you want on it. But we're just a device between the shower head and the wall. That's pretty tight. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you. So, bigger question, possibly more important. Do you brush your teeth in the shower or outside of the shower? In the shower. Right? Yeah. That just seems to make sense to me, and it's so comfortable. Time efficient, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, I know people who think, like, there's some people who think I'm weird because I brush my teeth in the shower. Oh, really? I'm glad that we can connect. No, 100%. This. I got one in the shower, one like set in the shower and one outside the shower. So like always got to shower, always got to <laughs> brush my teeth in the shower. So what about Forge 54? I know that this is a come it sounds like a nonprofit from what I've read up on it where you're just helping people out uh, yeah. with marketing and things like that. When did you start that? What are you really doing? That was started with my boy Tori. So me and Tori like did a bunch of businesses together. He's actually been a huge mentor uh, of mine and I could tell you more about that later. But for 454, like around like six years ago, hackathons were becoming very popular. You're familiar with hackathons, right? I'm familiar with hackathons, but the listener might not be. Okay. So hackathons are pretty much like people come up with an idea. They have like, I don't know, 24 or 48 hours and they pretty much don't sleep and drink a lot of Red Bull and kind of ideate or build on that concept. And in the developer community, it's quite popular. So you're thinking, okay, like we have clients, and but like we do like a website, for example, and you're like, we did that in like seven months. Like why? It's slow. Like you have to get feedback from the client. I'm like, if we had a short amount of time with a lot of hands on deck, we could do a lot of work. Who needs the most help that can't afford these like long processes? Well, nonprofits. Like they, they have zero marketing dollars because their budgets go to typically the the mission, like the problem that they're trying to solve, right? Like every dollar, if they're trying to help homelessness, every dollar towards that is better than just like marketing for themselves and making themselves look good. So we came up with this hackathon concept that was saying, okay, we'll collect a bunch of people and over the span of 54 hours, um, we'll do the same sort of like theme of no sleeping, you know, a bunch of Red Bull and we'll do like social media and um, website, a mobile app, press releases, a whole like marketing strategy, brand, logo, identity, commercials, everything with video production. And we're just going to do it in 54 hours and then hand it off to them. And then we're hand out. We're, we're out. Like it's all yours. Pro bono for free. It's almost served as a grant like every year. So it's like once a year um, over one weekend. And it has to be in that 54 hour span. And we've pulled it off. So like the first year we did it, we're like, all right, the Leaps employees are going to show up. And your, his employees are going to show up. So we knew we had like 15 people. We're like, cool. Like we have someone to work with. But then 40 people came like after when we did the first one. And then we had like 60 and then 80 and now 100. Now every year it's about 120 to 150 was the most that we've ever had over one weekend. So 150 people yeah. were working to create marketing assets for one nonprofit. nonprofit. Yeah. Damn. How do you select the nonprofit? People apply, like nonprofits apply, and then we pick one. But we kind of realized that like it can't be too small of a nonprofit. Like let's say it was like a husband and wife, because like we're donating hundreds and thousands of dollars of like marketing services. And that's like a lot to take on. But it also can't be too big where they can afford it themselves. But on the flip side of that, like one one of the, one of the things that we realized is that our volunteers really like when the nonprofit is helping problems in our own backyard. So like a lot of the stuff that we worked with, like Ocean Institute, OC Food Bank, um, Illumination Foundation, these are all local nonprofits, like solving things here. And our volunteers really like that. So that's really tight. Yeah. Was you know that sort of 
altruism, generosity? Was that always part of the plan since you were a kid or somebody came to you with this idea? No, I mean, nothing was part of the plan. There was zero planning in any of this. I mean, this was just more like, this sounds like a really cool idea. It sounds fun. Like, less planning, more doing. And Why so, 54 hours? <laughs> honestly, it was made up. And like, we're just like, 54 sounds really cool. And they were like, okay, it's Saturday at 12 o'clock and it ends on Sunday. We're like, okay, that's enough time. Let's just do that. So, you guys just don't sleep. This sounds don't like... Sleep. <laughs> don't. I'm telling you, there are pictures like of just me like having a couple naps like underneath like my seat, like my desk. Yeah. Like, where we used to do it. Um, yeah, like, like if people sleep, you're, you're kind of weak, you know? Yeah. <laughs> are the Red Bulls sugar-free? They can be. <laughs> we, oh, we give them everything. So what's really cool is that we get a bunch of sponsors because they... Like, a hundred people like or so it takes like a lot of a lot of breakfast, a lot of coffee, a lot of lunches, a lot of dinners. We even have like at the basement we've had like little sleeping uh tents so people can take naps and don't have to leave the premise. So <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna trap them in here so that they can finish out this stuff. That's so awesome. Can you talk about any of the um nonprofits that you've helped around here? Yeah, so the ones um First year was OC Food Bank. They were awesome. So we did everything from the website to the mobile app. It's like still up today. And then like Ocean Institute was another one of them. They they have like the campus in Dana Point. Um, and so that was really cool for us to do. We did Illumination Foundation who helps homelessness here in Santa Ana. We did Wells of Life. They're awesome. They build um, wells in like different areas of the country. Um, and there's a play works that helps like children uh, preach like safe play. And it's been just really cool, like help these different organizations, like just get them like a step closer to their mission and not have to worry about like that marketing yeah. budget. So, so, and this is, you know, all, they're all volunteers. Yeah. You, um, you're getting sponsorships for food, tents, Red Bull, yeah. whatever it might be. So you're really not taking any money to even like house anything. Yeah. We're this, you're just like helping, helping period. We have no monetization strategy. We, kind of try to do like an Indiegogo every year, a couple thousand dollars. Typically... For like any, a venue or something? Yeah, we even, even that we get donated. We've had like big ad agencies like around here donate their venue. I don't know how because like, we make a mess, but they're amazing and bless their soul. But like they, we've been lucky enough to have just amazing people support this and like donate us their space to donating food to donating everything. Like we'll, we'll take anything. Like one year we're like, we hit up a... What was it? Um... PF Changs, yeah. and we're just like, can you donate us food? And they're like, honestly, like if you let us know like six months ago, we would, but we'll give you 150 fortune cookies. And we're like, cool, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> 150 fortune cookies. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Like we'll take anything, you know what yeah. I mean? And make it work. But it really is the most amazing thing. Cause let me, let me tell you something. So like, for example, if you were participating, you'd be on the social media team, right? And you're going to be funneled and focused on like the social media work and you have no idea like what the video team is working on or what the design team is working on or what the mobile, like the development team is working on. You may have kind of an idea, but you're just not in the trenches. And so at the end of 54 hours, we do this big presentation like with like the nonprofit to review all the work. And not only, like, not only for them, but our volunteers are seeing the full like campaign for the very first time yeah. so then you're kind of seeing like whoa that's the videos we created like because like 54 hours not a long time like we're like editing to the last minute we're like writing the lines of code to the last minute and so like it is this most amazing amazing experience like for the volunteers and for the nonprofit. the best people make the best friends in doing this event yeah. it's amazing yeah when does this happen? usually october november every year okay. yeah and we have a board that like puts it together and you know, they help uh, help organize it. All volunteers. When we're doing the intros, what I forgot to mention is that you're also the president of OC Tech Happy Hour, which is <laughs> Orange County's... Holla. Holla, <laughs> which is cool. But it, this is, in fact, Orange County's largest tech meetup, right? I think so. Like 7,000 people is no joke. 7,500, but whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that's So that's no joke. But you you started off saying that you were like an introverted... High school kid, like nerdy, playing video. Did you say nerdy, or did I just yeah, come up with nerdy? I'm pretty nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was pretty nerdy. <laughs> How did you break through that? Like now, when I when I see you at these events and interacting with other people, uh, introverted is not anywhere near <laughs> you. You know what I mean. So, how did you start developing that outgoing personality? Have you ever took um, the disc test? No, but I want to. I like doing these. What okay, D I? I think I have. Do it. Do it with your team too. Like you get to. 
kind of see like you know what the grade and it's like this whole rapport but anyhow in the disc test like they all stand for something like sociability and decisiveness and so forth and they give you a score and two different scores per one's like an adaptive score and one's like your regular score adaptive means like when i'm at work i'm different but if i was at home like with my family or just like with my close friends like i'm a totally different person so if some people are just like they're the same their adaptive score isn't much different than their regular score so one thing that's interesting about my personality is when I'm at work, like when you see me at those events, my adaptive is up here. Mm. And like where I'm at, like naturally, is completely below that. So like I have introverted, I think, characteristics. You know, I don't like to be, a, a, you know, the center of attention or anything like that. Um, but like I think because I was always running my own businesses, I was kind of forced to like sort of like talk and I'm not a horrible person I think to talk to so I think that gave me like extroverted capabilities but like if I'm with my friends you know or I'm just with my family I'm kind of more quieter like I'm just kind of like chilling yeah really um so it's a completely different like I think personalities and in no way is it um uh strategic on my perspective it's just like when I'm at work I feel like this like excitement you know what I mean when I'm at when I'm at like chilling with my friends or my family it's like I'm just laying back like it's cool. Do you consider like the networking events and things like this? Do you consider that to be work? No, no, not really because I enjoy it, you know, but there's still like a professional network. There's still like a, I guess, a professional agenda attached to it. Although it's really cool like to meet people. Like, how do we meet people in today's A and H that like are like minded that, you know, thought it was could help sliding into the DMs? Yeah, we could do that. I haven't perfected that one. <laughs> But you know, I think I think I think going and having a couple of drinks like on a Tuesday night to meet a couple of people is time well spent. You know what I mean? And if I can help them, then aces and vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you said aces. That makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> you started this so long ago. I mean, I I've, you started entrepreneurship before it was cool to say entrepreneur, <laughs> which is great. Did you ever have like these big, like almost ridiculous dreams that you had for Devise Interactive or any other uh, company? And if so, what were they? It was tough for me to see past like a year because it was very just like kind of going with the flow and just like this feels right, like to hire this way, this feels right to like grow this way. So very agile, I suppose, you know. And I wasn't running a business because I like wanted to run a business. I'm like, this is kind of like what I fell into. And then I enjoyed it. And so I was just kind of like seeing where it went. But big dreams for me have always been like, as I've like, I think grown up over the last like decade, I kind of have like uh, these ideals of us like being a part of many different companies and a lot of like tech startups and like helping them build their products. So I really want to get on the product side rather than like the agency is very on the ser- like, servicing side. Um and so for me, it's to be a part of, be a part of multiple like inventions. And then um, I'm, I love like as an entrepreneur, you're always kind of somewhat sales focused and financial focused. And I think I like like, like investments. So I have, I have, I have an interest in there. So like whether it's from a real estate or fintech platforms, I see myself getting immersed into um, different type of investment. Like, I don't know. Things. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of like sales focus and on and uh, financial finance focused, yeah. Uh, as an entrepreneur, generating enough revenue to support eleven people is no joke. Like that's crazy. If you, <laughs> if you really think about it, like you know, maybe our grandparents had like eleven brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. but before, like, I don't even know how they figured that out. You know what I mean? But. Um, but it's like your company is like your little family. Yeah. Um, what are some of like the the biggest things that you've learned in like in your career when it comes to managing your finances? Mm, yeah. So that's actually a really good question. Um, Thank I'm, you. Uh, Considering I'm doing the interview, I hope there's <laughs> one or two. I went from do you brush your teeth in the shower to how do we manage your finances? <laughs> We're making progression. <laughs> though that is like something I admire though. That, Not a lot of people do that. Um, The financial side, I think, okay, so I'm the worst when it comes to financials because I'm just like, ah, like, whatever, we can afford it. Like, I really don't care about profitability. (laughs) (laughs) So I am the worst. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am the worst when it comes to finance. Yeah. That's amazing. But but what was really um, 
one thing that really helped me out a lot was we had a mobile developer um, on staff um, and now a partner with some uh, some other ventures. And his name's Kevin G. And he would help me with our financials nonstop. Like he would, like, I would almost like get budgets, things approved by him. You know, and the team was like, can we do this? I'm like, heck yeah, we can. And they're like, we'll talk to Kevin G. So he was kind of like my stiff arm, my stiff arm to like make sure like, you know, we can afford what we can afford. But the one thing I did right was, Literally, like all, all the like revenue that we made, like was in our bank account. Like I never really pulled out, and like even then, like we were making like decent type of investments. So like I don't want to see this money like out of sight, out of mind. And so we were very conservatively built. Like if we didn't get paid for months, like we were fine. Like it was we can last for another six months. And I think that was extremely smart, um, as well as like a small business because the type of revenue we were making in January 2016. 2017 was different than what we were making in 2016 and 2015. You know what I mean? Like it changed that much. Like our expenses were way higher, the amount of money that was coming in, and some months were really bad months and some months were really good months. So I think having an eye on your cash flow is extremely important. Um, and in a service-based business, it's a little bit tougher because it's all like kind of project-based. Um, but yeah, I think like having another counterpart, whether it's your accountant or someone, being a stiff arm that you can advise to, I think, and letting that control go. And then also um, being like understanding like, okay, how much how much runway do we have? You know, if like worst worst cases like hit the fan. Yeah. You know? Speaking of which, we had this conversation briefly. We were talking about like, you know, some agencies have three month runway, but you we were also saying how some agencies like have a month at best, right? And to the listener runway being like, how much cash do you have in the bank so that you can keep the lights on and pay everybody if you never got paid again, yeah. right? Um, where were you at, if you don't or mind me asking? Three to six months. Three to six months. Runway. Cash yeah. on hand. But it was also like, maybe not the best way to do it. Like, it's a, I think it was a, a smart strategy because we were just kind of going with the punches and growing. But like, we could probably leverage lines of credit you know what i mean a lot of companies do that and only have like 30 days runway like on cash but they have like other ways they can leverage money and quick financing to like keep them afloat and then when their money starts coming in they can start paying that paying that off um so yeah i think three three to six months was the way that i looked at it as just like being conservative um but it also allowed us the we were able to be nimble and like where we want to invest money in and stuff like that. And when you say invest money, this isn't necessarily like investing money in another company or a piece of that company. It could be a new piece of hardware or something like that, right? Yeah. In, yeah. Like, for example, I remember um, we were looking like, okay, how do we get more? One thing that we never did is hire like a business development person. Um, and so we're like, okay, like, we need to like think about our sales. So one guy, he became a free agent. His uh, The company he was with got acquired. And like he was up and like looking for another job. I'm like, let's give this a go. We had the extra cash, so we invested into him, and like it worked out really well with a bunch of like positive connections. And so, I feel like if we weren't like running conservatively, we could not have made that investment like so quickly and be impulsive, right? Um, and then, and it can go investing into hardware and like things like that. So, yeah. so what about business development now? You know, service based. It's hard to sell sometimes because there's people that are charging more. There's people that are charging less what makes you different, like that type of thing. And the question's always, what's my return on investment? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, what are some of your tips and strategies for the aspiring business developer, salesman, ninja guy? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's tough. I, I mean, I can't formulate my efforts to business development. I think it, it's a it's a tough thing to replicate. Like, how do you get sales, you know, um, and how do they convert? So, like, for me, it's really just about, like, it is complex sales, so it's a longer time frame. So like one has to be okay with that. Like has to be somewhat patient. And then I think the commitment for that person really doesn't have to be to like closing the job. I think the moment that your expectation to close the job is there, then you become salesy and I think you're not gonna close it, right? So I think if you're if you're the type of person you are and you're trying to just create that relationship like and just bring value to each other I think over time you're going to see an ROI of that and ROI doesn't only need mean like I close a job it's like maybe it's like social currency of just like you know introductions and meeting other people and so forth right so I think like I think as a business development person that's doing any sort of sales you have to be committed to anyone you're working with like from a prospect perspective to the relationship first and then the sales gets layered on top and then to your point, I think you were talking about like some people are like too expensive, you're too low. I think the the more you approach it where like 
like you don't need the job where it's like, look, like if someone else, is, there's always going to be someone else that's cheaper. Like that's cool. Like I may not be a good fit. Like that's completely fine. But if you're kind of like maybe pointing them in the right direction and advising them, then I think people would want to work with you because of what you're bringing to the table. And if someone really is price sensitive because like maybe it's a startup or they don't have the money and you're just more expensive, that's the way it is, you know, and you can't take like, you can't take that to heart. So I think like not to say like being defective, but just being like, okay with like, not everyone could be a good client and not everyone needs to be a client. But like, if you can just focus on the relationships, I think that's the most important. I, I, I like that answer. And from you, I believe it, which is great. However, I have to play devil, devil's advocate oh, because yeah. I think that, you know, focusing on the relationship and building value, these are almost buzzwords now that entrepreneurship is cool. Sure. How can somebody, like, very simply, you mentioned, like, social currency, things like that. What are, like, three things that you like to provide to somebody to give them value? What do you have in your back pocket? How do I give them value? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so am I speaking to somebody new or just, like, someone that's, like, is, like, a prospect or something? No, just somebody new. Look, so a lot of times I'm just like, look, let me let me tell you, tell me about your idea, like what you want to build. Let me advise you. So I think like the best way is gonna be like, what are the tech from my perspective, like what are the technical constraints? What are some other things that I've seen? Maybe do a quick competitive research. And even and even more so, like tell them like what could work, what couldn't work. So I think any level of advisement is gonna be the biggest. Two is then gonna make them like other, like kind of understand their pain point. So if you ask them enough questions, like not about like why you're the right fit, but more like what's influencing this initiative and like why now, like kind of like trying to get into like the reasons like they're trying to build it. I think then from there you can kind of assess the situation to be able to say like, okay, are we the right fit or if someone else is the right fit? Um, so I think it's like kind of like going through like taking that conversation and not talking about like, for example, I represent Vincent. If we met and you had a new idea, I'm not going to tell you about what we do or like how we do it or anything like that. But no, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. So I think keeping that like the focus, I think is extremely important. The advisement is another big thing. I think that's the part of the, I don't know if I have three, but I guess that would be the two ways. Those two ways are awesome. Yeah. I love what you're saying about asking that person, because it doesn't even need to be software development, but it's like, why are you choosing to do this now? What are you resolving? Like even a, you know, even a, a personal trainer could be like, why do you want to lose weight now? Right, right. You know, I think that's a powerful question. Yeah. And I think when you ask stuff like that, you'll get little nuggets to better understand what are they what are they trying to do, you know, and where is this coming from, like from the bottom of their heart, like their soul. And I think I think I think that's important. You're right. Like the word value is like extremely, I think like buzzy, but step away from the sale. Step away from the transactional piece, you know? Um and I think that's what's worked for me. Like some of the biggest gigs have just been like, like I remember like one of my recent biggest gigs that we got were like from this guy I've known for two years. And we first engaged, we were too expensive. And like that was fine. But I checked in with him just like every six months just to see how he's doing. I went to his like restaurant grand opening. And I, you know what I mean? Like I, I tried to just be with him or whatever. And then that ended up him referring a major client and that converted later on. And I think that was positive. So even though his job wasn't the, like, we didn't get that one and that's fine. He put hit my name on the line for something else. And I think he knew now like what we do, like he knew that like, okay, like what he wanted to build wasn't a good fit for us and vice versa. But he knew like, oh, someone else that has X and Y, Z needs I would I would refer to Leap because like you know he treated me well and he actually hired my buddy that did the first job, so you know what I mean. So I think that's the way you just kind of like meet people and just kind of like. So I love that approach and if there's anybody who embodies the idea of giving without expectation, I truly believe that you're that person that I've oh, met, thanks, man. which is great. Thank you. I think Gary Vee kind of says that, but I, I don't know. He's been trying to sell me shoes and <laughs> wines and shit, so I don't know anymore. But jokes aside, like I, I, I love that about you, uh, and I mean it's definitely uh, you know your your success is a testament to everything that you've been Thank doing. You, Thank you. Second to last question, you've been working for this long now, and you don't come across as the type of person that really had any like, like, of course everybody has like a financial goal, but you it you don't come across as the type of person to me where it's like I have to make a million dollars. Do you believe that entrepreneurs have to have that big financial goal in mind? Uh, if it motivates you, right? Like if someone has a big goal and that's like the the fire behind them and the fuel in the tank, like more more power to you, right? Um, I think everyone approaches it a little bit differently. So I don't think it's a bad thing. Like if if you're looking at revenue as the KPI of success, I think we look at that, right? Especially as business owners, like we close a bigger contract, we're like, ooh, that was a six figure contract. Like that that's a that must be a good one, but not necessarily could be a good client for you and all that stuff. So. 
if that's the fire behind you, and I say more power to you, um, I think I think we need a piece of that a little bit, you know, and somehow. What was your motivation this whole time? I mean, mine was the team. So, like, I always measured, like, how big the team was. I'm like, okay, we can, like, I would lose sleep over, like, hiring another employee. Like, me and Randy spent sleepless nights. I'm like, can we hire that person? Are you sure it's the right thing? And, like, we every hire was just so positive for us because it always treated the company so well. So, that was extremely important. So, like, team first was always for me. Um yeah, I mean, the revenue was cool, especially when we got to a decent amount of people. It was like, okay, we have like major cash flow. So like, yeah. that was important. And then like, once we hit like the million mark, like that was definitely like like a champagne moment. Like that was like, yes, like we, that was something that was like really big for us. So, but yeah, I think I think you need to have some sort of goal. For was sure. a million necessary to get to where you got? Like I was saying like, we could end on like two, three mil. Like, you know what I mean? If we want to be that focused in terms of... In, that driven in terms of sales, but we didn't want to like, you know, overburden the team and stuff like that. And we were still learning. Like my team was younger and I'm not that old. So we were just like, all right, like just take it as learning. Like, you know, we're just learning, learning, learning. So I love that, man. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this, but I like to end every episode with one piece of advice from the guest to the listener. You've obviously given us a ton of value mm. as usual, but if there was one thing that you could say to any listener right now, what would it be? If you uh, brush your teeth in the shower, you're going to save a lot of time. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one piece of advice, I think for me, would just be to sort of like stay focused. I think in our minds, like today, present time is always like worse in our heads because we always want it now, now, now. So I think just like being patient and being poised is extremely important as you like conduct your business. If you have the right intention, then I think you just kind of grow from there. So I think like, just don't rush it. Like, you know, no stress, you know, take care of yourself, uh, but be poised like as you sort of grow your business. And I think that's the most important. I love that, man. Uh, to the listener who might want to connect with you and doesn't know where to find you yet, where can they find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's uh, Deleep J or just search my name, Deleep Jeggy. Um, you also find me on Instagram with my first name and last name, Deleep Jeggy. Yeah, I think those are two vehicles. <laughs> those are two areas I'm at. Find me, holla, put in my DM. <laughs> <laughs> to the listener, thank you so much for your time and attention. Um, as always, we really appreciate you listening along with this episode. If you enjoyed it, we would love a five-star review. If you didn't like it that much, feel free to stick it to us. But subscribe anyways, because we're going to have a lot of incredible people just like Delete back on the show. Thanks again, Delete. Thank you for having me. Yeah, appreciate dude. it.